welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor and Adric as they return to Endspace in The Keeper of Triken. As usual, we will discuss the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give you our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so as always, to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, X, <laughs> and Instagram. I, I, that's so stupid. Yeah, um, it, it And really Instagram. Uh, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddy, we've had a couple of weeks off, but if you mm-hmm. wouldn't mind bring us back on track with the story summary, please, and thank you. Shake off some of this ring rust on me. <laughs> <laughs> Part one. On the TARDIS, the Doctor and Adric look through the external view screen as they make their way back into real space. Adric is amazed at the vastness of it at all, and the Doctor announces that they have arrived at the Metula Orionis system, which is home to the Trakan Empire. He says that it is famed for its peacefulness, and he promises to bring Adric to it one day. However, a confused Adric says that they are already going there, and he and an equally confused Doctor insist that the other one must have set the console controls to land there. The TARDIS enters orbit around the main planet, and the Doctor tells a concerned Adric to keep calm. Suddenly, a wizened, dome-headed old man sitting in a chair appears in the console room, and the Doctor identifies him as the Keeper of Traken. He realises that the Keeper was the one who took control of the TARDIS, and asks him why he needs their help. He says that he believes that Traken is facing an impending disaster, and Adric wonders how an empire with the reputation of Traken could be in such danger. The Doctor agrees, saying that he has heard stories of the Empire that state that evil simply cannot exist within it. The Keeper acknowledges this by saying that evil entities seem drawn to the Empire like moths to a flame. He shows them an image of a guard on the main planet being tended by a group called the Fosters, and they watch as a stone humanoid lands in the garden. He says that creatures like it are called Melkor, and they cannot survive for long in the garden before they eventually calcify and become absorbed into the soil. The Keeper says that the death of living things is painful to the native of Traken, and they so they tend to the Melkor to ease their passing. Then watches a young woman comes and speaks to the milker, introducing herself as Cassia as she places flower at the base of its pedestal. The doctor says that he doesn't see what is wrong, and the keeper says that the images are from years ago, and that Cassia has now grown, attained the rank of consul, and married another consul named Tremas, an older man, which he says is a turning point for Traken. He shows them the wedding, which is currently happening, where Tremas and Cassia entertain their wedding guests, which include Nyssa, Tremas's daughter from a previous marriage. The guests begin to good-naturedly tease Cassia, saying that they thought that she would never get married due to her care for the Melker. Cassia begins to get annoyed at them, but the Keeper arrives, saying that he has come to give them his blessing. He comments on the unusual longevity of the Melker, and says that he officially releases Cassia from the responsibility of looking after it, a statement that seems to perturb her. He says that Nyssa can take up the task, as well as help the Fosters tend the garden, which has become overgrown since Cassia banished them from it. Back in the present, the Keeper says that he selected Tremas to be his successor, but he began to feel an hour of evil from him, Cassia and Nyssa. He tells the Doctor that he is very sorry for involving him, and wishes him luck in saving Traken. He then disappears, leaving the Doctor and Adric puzzled as to what to do next. The Doctor goes to his library and pulls out a series of tomes and tells Adric to help him look through them for any clue as to what the evil the Keeper may be referring to. Back at the wedding, Tremas bids farewell to his guests, whilst Cassia goes to see the Melkor one last time. In the garden, Cassia expresses her worries that Tremas's elevation to the Keeper will affect their life together. To her surprise, the Melkor responds to her. 
The following morning, a body is discovered in the garden and Cassia calls an assembly of the council. Three council members, consuls Cern and Lubeck and Chief Foster Neiman, discuss Cassia's eccentric nature before discussing the state of the body. Lubeck and Neiman both think something strange is afoot as the victim looks scared. Neiman suggests that the Fosters need to be armed, a suggestion which takes Lubeck aback. Serendon spots Tremas approaching and asks what he thinks happened. Tremas says that he can't discern the readings from his equipment, and Saren makes a joke before ushering Lubeck and the others away so he can speak to Tremas in private. They agree that if the equipment is reading correctly, then some unknown force has taken root in Trekan. In the council meeting, Tremas reveals that the victim was killed by an unknown energy source. Cassia, believing it has something to do with the Malkar, suggests that the Fosters be armed, but doesn't elaborate on her suspicions when asked by Keturah, the fifth council member. Luvik agrees with her suggestion, and so Neiman is sent for. While they wait, Cassia asks what they should tell the people, who have grown more fearful due to the poor harvests and extreme weather conditions. Tremas says that it is to be expected due to the approaching death of the Keeper, whose power protects the Traken. Meanwhile, the TARDIS lands in the garden, and the Doctor and Adric briefly examine the Melkor before heading towards the council chambers. As they go, Adric says that it feels like the Melkor is watching them. As they try to get through one of the gates, they are apprehended by Neiman and a group of Fosters, who lead them away at Blaster Point to the council chambers. Tremus asks who they are, and after Adric introduces them, the Doctor says that they have been summoned by the Keeper. With the exception of Tremas, all of the consuls are suspicious of the new arrivals, and Saren orders Neiman to confirm the presence of the TARDIS, which the Doctor says is in the garden. At that moment, the Melkor's eyes shoot a beam at the TARDIS, causing it to disappear. A short while later, Neiman arrives and reports that there is no craft in the garden, and the Doctor suggests summoning the Keeper to verify his story. The Council agrees, having already decided on summoning him to ask him about the murder. The Keeper arrives and asks the Doctor and Adric to be brought forward. However, just as the Doctor begins to speak, the Keeper cries out that an infinite evil has broken into the Council Chambers. Unbeknownst to everyone, the Melkor is staring at the Keeper through a crack in the door, its eyes glowing bright red. The Keeper vanishes from sight, and the Fosters aim their weapons at the Doctor and Adric. Part 2 The Doctor pleads for no rash action to be taken, but Cassia orders the Fosters to kill them, seeing that the evil the Keeper spoke of must be eliminated. The Doctor says that he and Adric have come to help get rid of it, and says that someone else attacked the Keeper. The Constants are shocked at the implication that one of them did it, and Cassia insists that the Doctor and Adric are the perpetrators, saying that they are creatures of Melkor. She goes into a frenzied state before collapsing to the ground. Tremas helps her to a chair and says that she is not well. The Doctor asks about her knowledge of the Melkor, and they inform him of her care of it throughout the years. The Doctor asks for more information about the Melkor, but Keturah says that he is trying to distract them from his own potential guilt. Saren, however, says that they should hear him out and ask the Doctor what he believes happened. The Doctor says that the Keeper was struck by a high-energy beam and says he lo- could locate its source with the correct equipment. He then spots the scanner Tremus was using earlier, and the Consul, seeing a fellow scientist in the Doctor, eagerly agrees to help him with his investigations. The Doctor reviews the readings taken by the device and is shocked by the high plasma energy levels it detected. The other Consuls ask what is going on, and Tremus admits that he doesn't know. However, when Cassia calls for the Fosters to execute the Doctor and Adric, Tremus claims his consular privilege to put them under his protection until there is proof of their guilt. Cassia is angered by this and insists that he revoke it, but Saren says that Tremus is entitled to the right. He then explains to the Doctor that if they are found guilty, then Tremus must also share their fate. Meanwhile, out in the garden, the Melkor kills several Fosters as it returns to its plinth. 
Cassia, having stormed out of the council chambers, spots the body and quickly drags them into hiding, saying that it is too soon. She then hides when she hears the others leaving the council chambers. The other councils tell the Doctor and Adric that they must remain with Tremas at all times. After they leave, the Doctor notices plasma burns on the stones and says that whatever attacked the Keeper was in the garden recently. However, Tremas points out that it is morning and the Doctor agrees to go get breakfast. Later, at Tremas's house, the Doctor says that they need to find his TARDIS in the garden. Nissa arrives and after being introduced by Tremas, says that she saw no sign of the ship. The Doctor insists that it must be there and Tremas says that he will go with him to look but says that Adric must remain behind. At that moment, Cassia communes with the Melker and she apologises for her failure to get rid of the Doctor and Adric. Melker says that it is irrelevant as they will soon be dead along with the Keeper. Cassia asks about his promise to spare Tremus when he becomes Keeper, but the Melker infers that he will make her Keeper instead and tells her to follow his instructions without question. Later, she goes to Saren's quarters and summons the other consuls except for Tremus to a meeting there. She tells him that Tremus has been secretly monitoring the strange energy readings for weeks without telling any of them. Saren says that she is trying to sow discord amongst the consuls and reveals his earlier discussions with Tremus about the readings. He says that they kept it secret in order to avoid panicking their people, but Cassia says that it casts doubt on Tremus' suitability to be Keeper. She says that he must prove himself by facing the Keeper's judgement, known as the Rapport. Saren says that he was the one who said that they should keep things quiet, so he would be the one to face the Rapport. Cassia objects, but Saren insists that he be the one to face it. Keturah tells him that Tremus must be kept separate from the proceedings, and Cassia says that she will stand vigil during the ceremony. Saren sarcastically thanks her, and then tells him to leave so he can prepare himself. In the garden, the Doctor and Tremus see a large crowd gathered around, and they ask Neiman what is going on. Neiman says that there is a rumour going around that the Melkor has been redeemed and will soon end the disasters plaguing the planet. He advises Tremus to stand away from the garden, as it could lend credibility to the rumour. The Doctor starts to object, but Tremus leads him away, quietly telling him that Neiman is untrustworthy. He says that he can get into the garden by a secret tunnel under the Keeper's chambers. Back in Tremus's house, Adric takes a look at the energy readings that Tremus's equipment had logged. He says that the readings are impossible, but states that the Doctor will know what to do with them, and tells Nissa to follow him. Back in the garden, the Melkor thanks Cassia for her assistance, and materialises a necklace for her to wear as a symbol of her allegiance. She puts it on and then tells him of Saron's plan to undertake the rapport, and again begs it to spare Tremas. In a control room, a mysterious figure laughs as he watches Cassia through the monitor screens linked to the Melkor's eyes. Cassia returns to the council chambers in a trance-like state due to the necklace's influence on her. Tremas, who is hiding in the shadows with the Doctor as they heard her approach, begins to go to her, but the Doctor tells him to stay put after observing her strange behaviour. Once she is gone, Tremus continues to lead the Doctor to the secret passage. En route, they see a large orb, which the Doctor identifies as a source manipulator, which is what the Keeper uses to tap into the innate power of Traken in order to keep the Empire safe. They arrive in the garden, and the Doctor uses the tracker to locate the TARDIS. He discovers that it is still in the garden, but it is out of phase. He says that he will need some equipment to help bring it back, and Tremus says that he will help him get it, leading him towards the storage vault. Unbeknownst to them, they are watched by the mysterious figure through the Melkor. Outside the garden, Nissa arrives and orders Neiman to have the Fosters remove the crowd, giving him money to ensure he follows her instructions. After everyone has left, she signals to Adric to come out of hiding, but they find the gate locked. Adric manages to pick it, but Nissa tells him to go ahead as she hears someone approaching. She closes the gate again just as Keturah and Ludwig arrive. 
They tell her that the entrance to the garden has been forbidden and that they take her home. Adu then begins to creep through the garden when he is suddenly ambushed by the doctor, who angrily asks what he is doing there. Adric says that he needs to show him the readings he got from the Tremester's equipment, but the doctor leads him and Tremess to the storage vault. Once there, the doctor is shocked to discover that the readings resemble those of a TARDIS generator. Tremess then notices that the source manipulator is powering up, and he says that the keeper has been summoned. Together they all rush to the council chambers, where Saren has commenced the rapport. The keeper appears and tells Saren that he is innocent of any guilt, but warns him that he is doomed, indicating to Cassia before disappearing again. Saren turns to see Cassia's eyes and necklace glowing red. He tells her to reject the evil influence of the Melker, but she says that she cannot and shoots energy beams into Saren, killing him. Trinoros arrives a few moments later and demands to know what happened. She momentarily tries to talk to him, but she is distracted by the arrival of Keturah, Lubick and a group of fosters. She quickly tells him that Saren failed the rapport, saying the Melker was to blame and again insists the Doctor and Adric are his servants. The other consuls assume Tremus is also in league with them and order their deaths, but the Doctor tells him to retreat to the vault. The Doctor then picks up a piece of equipment that he had been working on and they return to the garden, where he activates in order to bring the TARDIS back into this phase. Suddenly the Melker speaks, saying the TARDIS won't be able to help them. The Doctor tells the others not to look at the Melker and they see the TARDIS appear. Cassia suddenly appears and Tremas goes to her, but she tells him to stay away before her eyes again glow red and shoot energy beams at him. He falls back into the Doctor's arms, who says that he's only stunned and says they need to get him into the TARDIS. However, they are enveloped in an electric net fired at them by the Fosters, which renders them unconscious. Cassia then goes to the Melker, who tells her that they can now begin their plan. Part 3 The Doctor and the others are placed in the dungeons, and Cassia orders Neiman to make sure that they are closely watched. She says that there will be a public confession arranged to put the people at ease. She then goes to meet Luvik and Keturah, and they say that a new keeper needs to be chosen due to the death of Saren and the treachery of Tremas. Cassius says they can do it later, and then goes to speak to the Melker. She thanks him for helping save Tremas from becoming keeper, but the Melker says that he will only remain safe so long as she continues to serve him. He tells her that the Doctor is dangerous, and that he and Edric must be dealt with. Cassia tells him about the selection of a new keeper, and the Melker says that if they can't trust the others to join them, then Cassia must be the new keeper. She objects and begs him to release her from her bond, but he says not until she has fulfilled her duty. She then hears something nearby and she goes to investigate. She finds Nyssa, who had taken cover to listen to their conversation with the Melker. Cassia tells her that her father and the others are in prison and guarded by the Fosters loyal to her. Nyssa says that she's grown mad due to her association with the Melker, but Cassia tells her that she doesn't know what's going on and orders her to go home. In the cells, the Doctor and the others wake up. He tries to use his sonic screwdriver to open the electronic lock on the door, but he says it is too far away. Trima says that the Keeper must be near death if Saren was allowed to be murdered. He then says that Traken will be still safe, as only a native of the planet can succeed to the Keepership. The Doctor says that that is exactly what he's worried about, and Tremas realises that he means Cassia. In the Council Chambers, Keturah expresses her concern with the growth of the newly formed Cult of Melkor. Cassia agrees that it must be stopped and says that they must select a new Keeper who will oppose it. Both Keturah and Lubick say that they are not up to the task, and they choose Cassia, who tries to conceal her joy. She says that their first task must be to kill the Doctor and Adric to show that dissension will not be tolerated. She says that Tremas will be kept alive as he could still be of use to them, and they agree. Meanwhile, Nissa tries to gain access to the cells, but Neiman stops her. 
When he won't accept her bribes, she pulls a weapon on him and the other guard and demands that they give her the key. They do so, but rush her when she tries to retrieve it. However, she manages to stun them with the weapon before retrieving the key and heading down into the cells. She frees the doctor and the others and leads them back through the cells, being careful to avoid the foster patrols. Doctor says they need to get to the TARDIS, but Tremus and Adric say that every route will be guarded against them. Doctor says he could figure something out, but an alarm starts to go off and he tells them to run. Cassia and the others emerge from their chambers and wake up Neiman, who tells them of Mrs. Jailbreak. Cassia orders for the fugitives to be found and for the guard on the garden to be doubled. She then goes to the garden and informs the Melker as to what happened. Melker punishes her for her failure by causing her pain by the necklace. It says that if it didn't need her, then she would be dead already, but lets her go, demanding that she kill the doctor as soon as possible to prevent him from further ruining their plans. In the dungeons, the fugitives are cornered by a pair of fosters, but Nissa tells the doctor to use the stun rod she gave him, which knocks the fosters out. Doctor suggests they need to go somewhere safe, and Nissa suggests their home. Trima says it is too risky, but Adric says that they will be safe if it's already been searched. They arrive to find the house ransacked. Doctor asks the despondent Tremas if he has the blueprints for the source manipulator. Tremas says that he does, but is reluctant to give them to the Doctor, saying that he swore a sacred oath never to reveal them. However, the Doctor and Nyssa make him see reason, pointing out the danger if the Melkor gets control of the source. Tremas retrieves the plan from their hiding place and hands them to the Doctor. The Doctor admires the construction of the machine, and together with Adric and Tremas, he looks for a way to sabotage it to prevent the Melkor from using it. Once they agree on the plan, the Doctor leads them back to the TARDIS. As they make their way towards the garden, they notice that there are no fosters out looking for them, and they agree that they must be part of a trap set by Cassia. However, the Doctor says that they have no choice but to press on. They arrive at the garden to find Neiman and a group of fosters waiting for them. Neiman says that they will all be executed, but just as he gives the order for his men to shoot, a thunderstorm begins, which scares them off. Neiman tries to call them back, but he is stunned by the Doctor when he tries to kill him. Tremus says the storm is a result of the Keeper entering his final moments of life. At that moment, Cassia goes to the Keeper's chamber, as the transfer of power needs to be instantaneous lest the storms destroy the planet. She takes her place in the Keeper's chamber and the storms cease. Back in the garden, the Doctor tells the others to get in the TARDIS, but the Melkor addresses him and tells him that there is nothing that he can do to prevent his victory. The Melkor then dematerializes, revealing itself to be the TARDIS of the Master, unbeknownst to the Doctor is still alive after their last encounter but is horribly scarred and burned. The Doctor and the others rush to the Keeper's chambers to prevent the full transference of the source power to her. However, Katura ignores their protests and transfers the power to Cassia. The Doctor tells Adric to take Nyssa and secure the TARDIS while he and Tremas watch as Cassia fades from sight and the Melkor materialises in the Keeper's chamber. Part 4 the Keeper thanks the Consuls for giving it access to the Source, and it then instructs Luvik to summon Neiman to the Council Chambers. The Doctor advises that they follow its instructions, lest it kill them, but the Melkor surprises him by saying that it is requesting, not ordering. It then tells the Consuls the Doctor is a bitter man due to being sentenced to death, and then lies about him being rejected by the previous Keeper. Ketur tells Luvik to follow the Melkor's instructions, and the Doctor quietly tells Tremas he feels that he has met the Melkor somewhere before. Tremus tells the Melkor it has no right to sit in the Keeper's chair, as it is not a native of Traken. However, the Melkor insisted that it was chosen by the previous Keeper to succeed him, and that Cassie had volunteered to be used as a conduit for the power transference. Meanwhile, in the garden, Adric and Nyssa arrive, discussing what happened in the chamber. 
This expresses doubt as to the Melkor's teleportation abilities, and Adric realises that its abilities are similar to those of the TARDIS. He takes this inside the TARDIS and explains its dimensional, transcendental nature to her. He powers up the drive but finds that something is blocking it. Back in the council chambers, Lehman arrives and the Melkor tells him to confine the consoles to their quarters, assuring them that it is a temporary measure. Neiman are reminded of the doctor's death sentence, but before the Melkor can give the order for it to continue, it starts to fade in and out. The Melkor orders the doctor to also be confined to quarters before vanishing from sight. Neiman tells everyone to go to their respective quarters, but before he goes, the doctor tells Neiman that he is expendable as Cassia. At his home, Tremas and the doctor discuss the Melkor's fading. Tremas says that such a thing is to be expected for the first few days after the power transfer, as the new keeper tunes to the source. The doctor says that that must be why the Melkor is being so magnanimous, so as to prevent anyone challenging it in its weakened state. The doctor suggests going back to his plan to sabotage the source manipulator, but Trima says that they need the special rings of the consoles to access the security system surrounding it. The doctor reminds Trima that they have the blueprints to get around the security protocols. Unbeknownst to them, the Melkor has ordered Neiman, now wearing a necklace similar to Cassia's, to go to Tremas's house to retrieve the blueprints. Neiman arrives at Tremas's a short while later and demands that he t- turn over the blueprints. Tremas refuses to give them over, even when Neiman threatens him with a weapon. Suddenly the Melkor materialises and insists that Tremas follow his orders. When Tremas refuses, the Melkor shoots him with an energy blast and the Doctor tells Tremas to give him the plans. However, as Tremas passes him to go to the, the wall safe, the Doctor hands him a bit of parchment and distracts the Melkor, who has started to fade again. Tremas gives Neiman the parchment, and the Melkor orders him to hold it, and he destroys it with an energy blast. The Melkor then fades from sight, confident that nothing can stop it now. After it is gone, the Doctor distracts Neiman and his guards before knocking them all unconscious by slamming their heads together. He then takes Neiman's newly acquired console ring and leads Tremas away. Meanwhile, on the TARDIS, Adric has reached a similar conclusion and tells Nissa that they can stop the Melkor by destroying the Source Manipulator. The duo then set about crafting a device that will short it out, with Adric saying that it will cause the Source to run rampant and consume whoever or whatever is connected to it at the time. They land near the Source Manipulator and attach their device and set it up to commence the sabotage. The Doctor and Tremus make their way to the Council Chambers, dealing with any fosters that get in their way. They get inside just as an awakened Neiman arrives and orders the guards at the door to stop them, but they are too late. Inside, the Doctor and Trima start working on shutting down the security system, but the Melkor suddenly appears and shoots at them before they can finish inputting the code sequence. The Doctor gives Tremas the remaining code before getting up to go face the Melkor. The Melkor places him in a hypnotic trance before calling Tremas out. Tremas defiantly says that his people will never follow the Melkor and goes to put in the code. However, the Melkor uses its powers and then bends Tremas to his will, making him obey it. Neiman then arrives and the Melkor tells him to give his weapon to Tremas. It then forces the Doctor to watch as it forces Tremas to kill Neiman for his failure to stop the Doctor. It then orders Tremas to kill himself, but disarms him at the last moment, laughing as it says that the people of Traken will have no choice but to follow it. It says that it will use the power of the Keeper, as well as information ripped from the Doctor's body, to create an all-powerful empire. The Melkor then summons the Doctor to it, and together they dematerialize just as Adric and Nyssa arrive. They tell Tremus of their sabotage, and say that the Source Manipulator will blow up at any minute. Inside the Melkor, the Doctor comes face to face with the Master, who warns him not to move as the entire room is rigged only to recognize his own biological movements. 
He then tells the doctor that if he moves, he'll be blown apart. He says that he's nearing the end of his final regeneration, but will use the power of the Keeper to sustain himself and grant him new life. However, he detects interference with the source caused by the sabotage device. The Master's TARDIS starts to explode. The Doctor is able to move freely again, and he rushes to the doors. He emerges back into the Keeper's chamber and signals for Adric to finish inputting the code so he can deactivate the security system and let him out. Adric rushes to the console, fighting off the effects of a windstorm created by the sabotage, and lets the Doctor out. The wind also stops as the Doctor says that the code is acting as a reboot sequence for the source manipulator. However, the recently arrived Keturah says that they still need a Keeper, otherwise the source will die away, and Lubick rushes into the Keeper's chamber. Tremus thanks the Doctor for his help, and the Doctor and Adric bid everyone goodbye. Keturah then says that he would have to rebuild the damage done, and Tremus sends Nyssa with her, saying that he wants to look at something first. After they go, Tremus walks over to a grandfather clock which he noticed near the secret entrance to the Keeper's chamber, but once he touches it, his hand becomes stuck. He calls out for help just as the master emerges from the clock, saying that he has finally found a new body. He then merges with Tremas, de-aging him. The rejuvenated master gleefully departs in his TARDIS just as Nyssa returns, having come to investigate her father's cries for help. End of the story. So... I actually forgot how much of a like a kind of a downer this story ends on. So please lift us back up again with the information you have on the trivia spot. I'll try. We'll see. So the air date for the Keeper of Traken is the thirty first of January to the twenty first of February nineteen eighty one. The writer of the story is Johnny Byrne. This is the first of three Doctor Who writing credits for Johnny. We'll see his work again in Ark of Infinity and Warriors of the Deep. Johnny passed away in 2008. The director of the story is John Black. This is the first of two Doctor Who directing credits for John. We'll see his work again on Who in Four to Doomsday. However, we will actually see his work before that. Because John Black also directed the Doctor Who spin-off, Canine and Company, A Girl's Best Friend. Which we're going to do a rambling on mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so we will see his work before then, you and I, but technically on who his like next one is supposed to do the step. The original outline for this, so Johnny Byrne's original outline, was set in a sort of more medieval type society, which I think we can kind of tell like with the wedding and some mm-hmm. things is kind of obvious. Um, it was divided between scientific greys and the zealous blacks, led by Hallis and Zorka respectively. Um, the idea is that Zorka summons a being called Mogan, um, he, which he believes to be a demon, who the Doctor later re- later realizes is the last survivor of a race of super beings with fantastic mental abilities. Mogan wants to take control of the Source in order to use Traken as the launching pad for galactic conquest. Zorka frames Adric for murder. None of this is in the actual story. No. Zorka frames Adric for murder, and the cliffhanger for Episode Two originally involved. The Doctor, Adric, and Hellas, who is the scientific person, so uh, Trumus in this, um, on the brink of execution, about to be crushed between blocks of steel. A key element of part four was a stolen component from the TARDIS, which Mogan uses to construct a time disintegrator in which he plans to kill the Doctor. So there isn't really a whole lot in there that lines up with the original. I mean, there is a little bit of overlap that we may talk about later in terms of 
the scientific component versus the more um, spiritual or um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Supernatural. Yeah, um, component. Apart there's from, a lot of other stuff in there that never appeared anywhere. Like, like now that you say, like the medieval type society, as well as the episode two cliffhanger thing, the whole thing, and with the concept of like good and like the horrible evil drawn to it, kind of reminds me of Krull. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I have not seen Krull, so oh, I don't know. I'm I'm going to get you to watch Krull with me one day because it is awesome. Um, interesting. Johnny Byrne had a great interest in Irish mythology, um, and so the inspiration for the collar, so Melker's collar, actually comes from. This is cited in like various, like the Doctor Who and stuff, as like an Irish myth. It's more of an Irish Christian myth because it's kind of a Christian myth that the Irish mm. adopted or whatever. Um, it comes from the Yogan Marin or Marin's collar which is worn by a judge, so certain of his righteousness that the caller would strangle him if he ever made an unjust decree. So um, it comes from Irish mythology, but more sort of Irish Christian mythology rather than Irish Celtic mythology. Hmm. At one point, Nyssa was apparently going to exhibit some sort of preternatural sensitivity, um, which, again, they just completely dropped. I love that like with a lot of our female characters, they... They tend to lean towards this sort of third eye, yeah, you know, supernatural sensitivityness, and then they're just like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to buy." Johnny was actually on holiday during the rewrite process, so Christopher Bidmead, who we've discussed before, who's the script editor, he actually rewrote much of the story. Um, you know, locked away. He added the medieval look, the name Tremus, and the clock. Those are all Christopher Bidmead's. Um, Christopher claimed that Tremus was John Nathan Turner's idea. Um, and he disliked it because he felt it made no sense. Um, it's an interesting thing. So it's something that we will see again in future stories where um, we have like an anagram of the master. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make sense for Tremus to be an anagram of the master because... Yeah. It's not like he's the master in disguise. His body gets taken over. It would make more sense if the name for the Melkor was... Yeah, Tree of Us. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. Um, film of the story did ground to an abrupt halt when there was a sudden strike by BBC electricians over a parking dispute. Um, and this led to the cancellation of the serial's final studio recording day. Jonathan Turner, though, did manage to sort of hodgepodge a replacement date during the location filming of Legopolis to allow things to continue. The Melker statue design was based on a 1913 statue by Umberto Boccioni. I've botched his name. Umberto <laughs> Boccioni, as was in the pronounced. Um, the Trachonite blaster rifles are the same props used for the Scunless blasters in the Horns of Naiman. So some reuse happening there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this is the final televised story of the classic era of Doctor Who not to have at least one companion from contemporary Earth. Uh, To my knowledge, that is true because you would have Tegan, who's from contemporary Earth, which would then go to Perry. Mel Mel is is an unusual one because Mel's introduction is very strange. 
And then you we'll also, get to it. We get to it. And yeah, then we have Ace. Yeah, who is contemporary, but at the same time not. And this her pick her pickup isn't, but her yeah her her life is yeah. yeah. Um, this is the first story where we see the master changing bodies on screen. Though obviously this isn't a regeneration. This is like a an acquisition of another person's body, which we've never seen before. We've seen a number of different ways that like time lords regenerate, mm-hmm. but I don't like we've ever seen any indication that they can take someone else's body which actually makes like future regenerations of the doctor like a little bit sussy um mm. <laughs> do you know um, um and again you know romana 2's body type you know the way that she went about it is a little bit sussy it's it's interesting because like not not going into exact specifics but it isn't until the revival era that the master has what would be considered to be a um, normal regeneration. Mm. His yeah. his regeneration sequences have always been unique of a certain nature. Yeah. Um. Another interesting thing is that the master's TARDIS has offensive weaponry. So, like the Melker form is his TARDIS, and it shoots mm. lasers. Yeah. Um. Which I don't think we've seen before. No. Um. Jeffrey Beavers is credited as the Melkor. Um, to conceal the plot twist of the master's return. Even after the identity of the person inside the Melkor is revealed in part three, the closing title still credit Beavers as Melkor. The mm. Melkor statue itself was actually played by Graham Cole, who remained uncredited both on screen and in Radio Times. The hooded robe that Jeffrey Beavers wore as the disfigured master was the same garment that was worn by Peter Pratt in The Deadly Assassin. However, the rubber mask that was originally used had deteriorated so badly <laughs> that they couldn't reuse it. And so instead, he had face paint. Mm-hmm. So his isn't a mask. It's actually just painted onto his face, which gave him much more um, movement in his face. Yeah, because like, you, you could nearly even say um, that the surprise of it being the master like is kind of kept intact until the very last episode because... The one we saw in The Deadly Assassin had a lot more of kind of a Skeletor type vibe going on. Mm. Whereas here, he's more of a a burned victim. Yeah. Yeah. But when so, you consider how Deadly Assassin ended, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Also, like, and I'll get this later, he's been on this planet for fucking years. Yeah, exactly. Like, so. Um, yeah. So, um, Matthew Waterhouse um, apparently immediately likes Sarah Sutton, who plays Nissa, and recalls that he wanted to hug her and apparently when he did she slapped him there's no context given for that mm. uh, whether it was a friendly slap or a get the fuck away from me slap isn't yeah. clear <laughs> um, Tom's mood wasn't exceptionally great this time around either um, although his romantic relationship with Lala was you know high and low and high and low whatever Mm-hmm. Um, he still missed her being on set and he disliked being surrounded by so many newcomers, apparently. Again, we know Tom likes being centre of attention, etc. Um, quite prominent. Uh, Sheila Ruskin um, plays Sarah Sutton's stepmother, so she plays Cassia, despite there only being 15 years of difference between them. Now, the way this trivia point was presented with literally that was the yeah. sentence makes it out as if Cassia should be the same age as Tremas 
Yeah. But I don't think she's meant to be. I think they're going for no. the medieval thing where like she is only 15 years older than her. Yeah. That isn't just the actresses only have 15 years of a difference. It's the characters also only have like 15 years of a difference. But I found it interesting when I saw that point. I was like, don't you mean that Cassia became Nissa's stepmother despite only being 15 years her senior? Like, and like, to be to be fair, like, you know, it's not unheard of like that you have step parents that are like you're significantly younger than your actual parent. Yeah, it's just, it's just the way they presented it. Yeah, it's as if they were going for the sort of Sean Connery and Harrison Ford in Indiana mm. Jones, except in that story, like you know, Sean Connery was meant to be you know Indiana Jones's biological dad. So yeah. the fact that there was such a small age gap between them was fucking strange. Yeah, here she's a step parent in a medievalish society. I'm like, hmm. That's like um, not Colin really Farrell. as you think it is. Turn this wiki page. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like Colin Farrell and Angelina Jolie and Alexander. Like there's like six years between them, and she yeah. went to be his mom. Yeah. Um, Anthony Ainley, who goes on to play the master, and Sheila Ruskin actually previously appeared in The Pallisers, um, which was a John Nathan Turner production. Um, so he sort of knew them both from that. Apparently, John Black was appointed as director on the recommendation of his girlfriend. Who was the costume designer, Amy Roberts? Um, it begs to be seen if people appreciate that gesture, since apparently, more often than not on set, people refer to him as John Gray rather than John Black because they found him <laughs> very boring and difficult to work with. Um, during rehearsals, uh, Robin Soans, who plays Luvik, um, was trying to like find out like why does Luvik speak like doesn't speak as much as the other consoles he's kind of like you know quiet and, and to himself and he and john black agreed that he should play the role with a stammer like that's why luvik doesn't speak as much because it requires effort. and apparently this was vetoed by jonathan turner he's like no just you just don't talk as much <laughs> just get over it <laughs> um so you know we're speaking of nissa in this story and Nissa will go on to appear in more stories, and we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, but she was only ever meant to appear in this one. So there's another case where she was meant to be just a story-based companion, similar to Jamie, I suppose. Mm. Where she was meant to only be a story-based companion. Um, and so Johnny Byrne was given the rights to that character in the same way that usually the writer would get the rights to whatever alien creature they created or whatever. Because he had the rights to her, it meant that for every story Nissa was in... Mm-hmm which I'll get to a second how many of them there are, he got royalties for it <laughs> because he created her as a one-off and they decided to keep her on. You and I were talking a bit off air before we started recording about whether we consider Nyssa to be... Like, is this a Nyssa as companion story? Because like, we keep a list of like what companions are in episodes. Apparently some people do and some people don't some people see this as like a pre-companion story it doesn't actually count as a companion um it could be because she's coming in at the end she doesn't technically leave with them we just know from future knowledge that she's going to with them over so if you discount this episode as a pre-appearance mm. then this is the first story since the massacre in which the doctor travels with only a male companion throughout the entire thing. Jesus. 
And this wouldn't happen again for 36 years. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. Until the return of Dr. Mysterio. <laughs> Which, for anyone who doesn't know, that's a Peter Capaldi story. Mm. And it's his last, or one of his last? It's, so... Uh, it was the... It was or is it the Christ- mid-season? No, it was the Christmas special that led into his final season. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and it, it's like, also, it's talk about a very on-the-nose title as well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, let's talk about casting in a bit more detail. So, like I said, as Nissa, we have Sarah Sutton. This is the first of 14 appearances for Sarah, so Johnny Byrne got royalties for 14, mm. well, for 13 additional stories. Um, We'll go into more detail about Sarah next week when she actually starts as companion proper um, but just to say that her non-who credits include Alice Through the Looking Glass, The Moon Stallion, The Crucible, Casualty, Dark Shadows and Time Slip. Melker or the Burnt Master, whatever you want to call him, is played by Jeffrey Beavers. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who credit for Jeffrey, um, though he has done some work for Big Finish. His non-who credits include Clash of the Titans, the newer one, Victor Victoria, a movie we're both big fans of, Miss mm-hmm. um, Potter, Legend, and Red Dwarf. Jeffrey was married to Caroline John, who plays Le Shaw. Um, he appeared with her in the sort of straight-to-video Le Shaw spin-off, uh, The Devil of Winterbourne and Unnatural Selection. He also appeared with her in one of the Stranger videos called Eye of the Beholder. Jeffrey and Caroline had a daughter, Daisy Ashford, who now does the voice of Liz Shaw for Big Finish. I just love that they have just their nice little Doctor Who family. Yeah. It's very cute. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Liz Layden and Brian Miller and now Sadie. So. Yeah. It, 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 in a way, like, um, Doctor Who actors are almost like Star Trek actors. You're never really out of it. Like you, yeah. there's, there's always something for you to come back to. Yeah. Uh, Tremas, and then later The Master, hmm. um, is played by Anthony Ainley. I will say one thing. Mm-hmm. I thought for the longest time that his last name was Ainsley with an S. It's not. It's just Ainley. Um, this is the first of 11 stories for... What are you laughing at? I'm just imagining now Ainsley Harriet as The Master. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is the first of 11 stories for Anthony as the master to avoid spoilers I'm not going to list them we'll obviously tick them off as we go down through them Anthony's non-hit credits include Spider's Web You Only Live Twice The Palisades as I've already mentioned The Land of Time Forgot and Nicholas Nickleby Anthony passed away in 2004 as Cassia we have the previously mentioned Sheila Ruskin this is the only on-screen appearance for Sheila, though she has also done voice work for Big Finish. Her non-hoop credits include Mackenzie, I, Claudius, and The Vanishing Man. Saren is played by John Woodnut. This is the final appearance for John. We previously saw him as George Hibbert in Spirit from Space, as the Draconian Emperor in Frontier in Space, and in the dual roles of Broton and the Duke of Forgill in Terror of the Zygons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that like that wig fucking does amazing things for him. <laughs> uh, Katara is played by Margot Vanderberg. This is the second and final appearance for Margot. This one's really going to break your brain. 
who previously saw her all the way back in season one of Doctor Who when she played Kameka in the Aztecs. Uh, Lubick, as I mentioned, is played by Robin Soans. This is the first of two appearances for Robin. We'll see him again way, way later down the line in Face the Raven. Jesus. Yeah. His non-who credits include The Last Place on Earth, Tales of Sherwood Forest, Inspector Morse, Midsummer Murders, and The Queen. Lastly, as Neiman, we have Roland Oliver. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Roland. His non-who credits include Skin, Bad Girls, Dangerous Ladies, and The Bill. Um, I'm also just realising, though, that uh, I forgot we not to include him as like a character for the character discussion, but obviously he had a presence, the Keeper. But we previously discussed him. He was Professor Cronotus in Shada. Hmm. Indeed. So did that trivia bring you back up? It did. the mood a bit? It did a bit. But now we're coming into like the character discussion where I'm pretty sure I'm going to get angry. But, <laughs> but I think it's going to be angry in a good way, not angry in a bad way. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to have the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Duh. Companions, I had Adric and Trinas. Um, I would consider Nissa to be more of a prominent character in yeah. this one than a companion. Mm-hmm. Um, same prominent characters there's Nyssa and then I had Saren, Katura, Lubick and Neiman and then for villains I have Melker slash the master and then Cassia I think is a weird question mark about how much is Cassia and how much is the master controlling her I think we can talk about that when we get to her I don't know where you had her listed I but... actually had her as a prominent character okay so maybe we can, we'll discuss her last because she seems to be the lead in the bridging point. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So you did the socials, so you get to I did. go first. I do. Um, one of the first things that struck me when I was watching this one the other night was I actually really like the dynamic between the Doctor and Adric. Mm. I think Adric has now been in like this is what Adric's fourth For, fort. story, mm-hmm. and. I think here we get to see a really good relationship that seems really fun on both sides. And I know that like Tom had issues with Michael and whatever, but like particularly those opening scenes in the TARDIS, there's a lot of good banter between mm. them, gentle nudges, smiles. And like, I just love seeing it because it seemed really, A, really healthy. It was a really yes. healthy dynamic between the two of them. And it seemed really fun. And I think in terms of, the doctor and a younger companion mm-hmm. um i think i've kind of missed that i've kind of missed the doctor as um mentor um to a young ward which we haven't really had since troughton really do you know um mm-hmm. you know pertwee and, and tom up to now well pertwee kind of did the eccentric uncle yeah there was never this sort of I suppose he never they never tra- traveled with children um you know since jamie up to now jamie yeah. being you know a child but he was a young man you know, like yeah. he was a, a teenager like, i suppose like the nearest you can do it is like as you said like the doc john crazy uncle to joe yeah but even then it's a different joe was an di- adult it's, do you yeah, know it's, mean? it's a and, different and, dynamic it's still a different yeah. dynamic yeah whereas this is much more reminiscent of the first doctor and vicky or 
the second doctor and Jamie or even like mm-hmm. the second doctor and Zoe, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um, but a lot less antagonistic, um, which I, which I, I really enjoyed. I actually really enjoyed the opening scenes for, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I found really interesting is the doctor showing respect to another powerful being. It's not something we see very often. Um, the last time I think it was probably the white guardian where he was very respectable. And so mm-hmm. it's always interesting to see how the doctor reacts to other quote unquote good mm-hmm. powerful beings and i i like the fact that because in this one the keeper is obviously very old and i like the fact that kind of similar to oh, you just said his name a second ago chronotus chronotus in shadow there is a there is a deference there there's a respect of mm. age and whatever and it's not like you know, this sort of, not antagonistic, but this sort of like jockeying for mm-hmm. superiority, which is really good. Um, I think overall through the story, I think the Doctor plays well off all the characters. Mm. Um, I do like his dynamic with Tremus. I think it's really good. I like that like he doesn't belittle anyone in this society mm-hmm. for whatever. Like he clearly holds Traken, like he values it very highly. Um, and so I really like the dynamic that he has with everyone. And again, just going back to Adric, I like the trust that he shows in Adric. Like when Adric is figuring things out, the doctor's like, great, yep, mm-hmm. this is good. Let's keep going with this or whatever. So overall, I really liked him in this one. His scenes with the master, I thought were interesting just because obviously the last time they interacted, the deadly assassin was a very different, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very different <laughs> yeah. story and a very different experience. Um, so yeah, I think it went really well. Um, I will say as well, you know, we've we've said this throughout the season. Tom does still look very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've said in previous episodes that Tom was quite ill and recovering from a really bad illness through this season, and that is sadly still. It's still obvious mm-hmm. at certain points when you look at him. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think this is a good performance, good outing. And everything else. How about you? I think this is a great performance from Tom. Uh, you know, so I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, and just your point there about, um, you know, his feelings towards Matthew, and it actually kind of shows like a level of professionalism from Tom in the sense of he can make, he can have that realistic of a good friendship with Adric, while still mm. being a bit on the outs with. Uh, Matthew, and um, maybe professionalism. Like, basically, he's. I don't, able I don't to, think it's necessarily professionalism. He just yeah. shows Tom's quality as an actor. That's it. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to, to trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because no, <laughs> the stuff that he's doing, yeah, not professional. It's his, it's his ability to separate whatever issues he has with the real person and channel it into the performance. Yeah, I, I have a funny feeling that once they call action, oh, Tom he's, flips and he becomes the doctor and. Yeah, you know. yeah. That that's the point I was trying to make. Thank you for uh, giving me words goodly. Um, he's got no. He um, to your point as well. He's got a great rapport with Tremas, and I love his more buddy buddy with Adric. <laughs> At one point, it felt like <laughs> oh no, Sorry. the sky is falling. <laughs> I like at one point it was like it's like the science bros version of two and a half men <laughs> um but no like i it, pretty much everything that you were saying here i was kind of my points uh for the doctor like it's a great sciencey story for the doctor 
like um, looking at the plans for like the source manipulator and trying to circumnavigate the security system and even trying to find the TARDIS again. That was really cool. Um, it, his stuff with the master, it's almost very blink and you miss it because of like actually talking to the master. They mm. were what two scenes together. Yeah. But it's his interactions with the Melker and hats off to the production team because that fucking Melker prop is actually kind of, it's intimidating and it's also unsettling because it's all like jagged, ill-fitting pieces of stone mm. cropped up on top of each other. So it's like, it's like looking at a Dali painting or something, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But... He has great reverence for Nissa as well, which I loved seeing. Like mm. he he didn't he treated her as an equal throughout the entire thing. Um and even I suppose like to the point with Cassia as well, he was just trying to point out that she's a danger through the Melker. Like he was mm. yeah, so like he wasn't hounding for her head, but he was just trying to make everyone realise that she's not fully herself um no again look, i just thought it was a great story from tom like towards the towards the latter end uh of his run and like we've had some talks about the very meh and unmemorable stories he's had recently this is a really good one to start going into the swan song you know yeah i agree i agree so um adric or tremas uh, let's do Adric. We can do yeah. then. So, as I said, I really like the relationship between the Doctor and Adric in this one. Again, filling in this sort of ward or student role to the Doctor mm-hmm. as a sort of caregiver, mentor, or whatever. Um, I really like that we get to see Adric's intelligence. Mm. So this is something people are always sick of. Like, why does Trish always go on about seeing Adric's intelligence? I always bang on when we're told particularly in introduction stories, that a character is very intelligent. <laughs> I like seeing them play on that. Um, and I do like this here. I think, like, I mean, there are certain points in the story where he is kind of sidelined. Do you know, like, the Doctor and Tree must go off on their own and for some reason Adric has to stay behind in the house. Mm-hmm. No reason given. Um, but we get to see him, you know, with Nyssa, you know, looking around and getting to know about things. And then... When he sees something, his mind is going and he's constantly harking back to that seems so familiar. That seems so familiar. That's great. Um, great to see him driving the plan to save the day at the end. Mm-hmm. Again, shows great trust from the doctor. The doctor kind of assumed Adric would remember and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Do you know, which which is great to see. And again, something that um, the doctor would have done, you know, with, with the previous companions. Um and what I liked as well is, and I'm actually looking forward, knowing that Nyssa comes back, um, I am looking forward to seeing Adric and Nyssa together going forward because one of the things I really liked is that Adric can be, we've seen in previous stories, like, you know, he's a young, intelligent, kind of cocky in some ways character. He knows he's intelligent. Mm-hmm. Do you know, again, in that same, like we've compared him to Wesley Crusher, you mm-hmm. know, or we've compared Wesley to him, I suppose, more accurate description. Yeah. But I love that he doesn't force, like, the solution of, like, over, like, basically making the source 
you know, explode or, or you know, breaking or whatever. He doesn't force that solution on her. Like, he carefully explains to her, if I do this, this will happen. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just running ahead with sort of boyish vigor towards this solution he came up with and ignoring how she might feel about that. Mm. Do you know? Which which sounds a bit silly, maybe to focus on as something that I really liked, but again, when you have the teen prodigy character, they are often portrayed as, oh, I have this amazing idea, I'm just going to do it without respect to the people around them and whatever. Um and so I do like the fact that like he clearly explains to her like if I do this, this might happen. And he kind of wants her approval for the plan, which is very respectful from him. You know, whether that's him being respectful of Traken as a whole or him just being respectful of Nissa, who's his friend. Um, I I really liked seeing that. I thought it was really good. Um, how about you? Yeah, no, again, I com- pretty much completely agree with everything you just said there. It's a great showcase for Adric. Um, because of his resourcefulness, his intelligence is on display. Um, I love the fact that he actually saves the day. Because it's been a, it's been a while since we've actually seen the companion pull the doctor out of peril. I think, yeah. Um, and and also as you to your point that you know about the doctor knowing like you know trusting Adric, like again, it's never explicitly kind of stated. Like there's no like kind of wink that if where well, he doesn't know about Adric and Nissa being on the loose or anything like that. It's like. Mm. He just told Adric to keep Nissa safe. Anything more than that, he doesn't know what's going on. So for Adric and and Nissa as well to pull out the win and save save the day is great. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And for um, like when the doctor reappears to be like you know three three seven or whatever, yeah. he knows exactly what Adric did. Yeah, I was like, cool. This is mm. the next. This is the next step in this, which I thought was yeah. great. And again, like I also agree, like that we were, like at the start. I had raised the point over Adric is is like he has book smarts, but does he have like real world smarts? And it's the whole thing of like, is it the arrogance of knowing your intelligence versus, you know, your naivety of being a young person? Mm. Um, Here it's a case of like, yes, Adric knows that he's intelligent, but he never tries to boss Nissa around, as you said. It's an equal partnership. They're both contributing to do this he's only taking the lead because he was the one that took a look at the plans he's the one that knows his way around the TARDIS that's about it but mm-hmm. he he does know the stakes and I think that it's probably his mind probably flashes back to uh, the Starliner with his brother mm-hmm. like going like that look Tremas is the only family that she has she yeah. needs to be fully aware of the scope of this so I'm yeah. This was like when we eventually get to do his um, rambling. I at the moment this is number one with a bullet for his. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I agree. And then we have Tremas. Mm-hmm. So our you know I think we both agree the story based companion for for this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial thing is just poor Tremas. Like, yeah. Sake. Um, I, I do wonder though, like with Tremas. And I have this question. I have I have a bigger, broader scope of this um, in my overall. Okay, it touches on a number of characters as we go down, so we'll keep bringing it up. But um, 
I do sometimes wonder about his motives, particularly at the beginning. So, like, dude, you literally just got married. And then you're accepting this role of, like, keeper to be, to, like, mm. keeper apparent. Knowing that would mean you're leaving her. And it just seems very cruel. <laughs> um, and even, you know, Cassie herself is kind of taken aback by it being, like, on their wedding day, he announces that, yeah, you know, sooner rather than later, I will leave you to take up the big brain chair. And it's like, that seems a bit weird. And then, you know, I don't think they fully explored the science versus superstition mm. aspect because, like, he's taking all these scientific readings and whatever. And along with Saren, it's kind of like, oh, we won't tell everybody and whatever. It, it just, it just, maybe like questioning his motives isn't the right thing. I just think the the foundation of his mm. character mm. and what his character likes is a little bit blurry. Like he seems to really love Cassia, mm -hmm. but then after the wedding scene, he doesn't really particularly focus on her at all. To bar when she nearly passed out. Um, do you know like when they go back to his house and they have breakfast Cassie is not there he doesn't mention that she's not there he doesn't wonder where she's gone do you know and it's like are you in love with her <laughs> or not <laughs> um, and I think it's just and maybe it was the conversion of this from the sort of medieval story into what it became that that kind of got lost in the middle um, but in terms of Tremus himself I do like him as a character I like how open-minded he is when it comes to the science around him. I like that he gets really giddy when he realizes that the doctor's mm. a scientist. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of characters over the years who've sort of had that that giddiness, mm. but it kind of reminded me of um, um, the younger Scarman from Pyramids yeah. of Mars. Mm -hmm. um, and even though, obviously, Trumus' science is much more advanced than, than, than Scarman's was, um, you still get that same sense of, like, oh, you're you're a scientist oh yay it's like yeah more science um <laughs> which i love it i love when we see characters particularly characters that are in this sort of weird sort of medieval-esque superstition-esque thing um which is great i love that, that like he stands by the doctor like he realizes that something is sussy he stands by him even knowing like what it could mean for him and he just stands by him the whole way through yeah. do you know um and again, towards the end, I just feel so bad for him mm. because, you know, like I said, yeah, there's a bit of a weirdness among the console, which we'll talk about later, but Tremus did nothing wrong, do you know? And he gets such a horrible mm. death takeover or whatever. Um, it It's just, it, it it's horrendous. And I've actually just realized we do at another point in time see the master take over someone else's body. Um, or, or am I remembering incorrectly? With Jody, doesn't that's a different? Sequence. It's that, a different way of doing it, it but it's, it's a similar. Way of doing, yeah, but like it, it's still part of a regeneration process. Whereas this one is, there's stuff about the master's own continuity, the master's abilities that are kind of wishy washy. And again, as I said, when we go down to before the revival era kicks in, there'll be more stuff that we'll actually encounter on screen about the master. That's a bit mm. 
the one thing I will say as well, so I'd started doing like the character list and like filling in the names mm. of the actors and stuff before I watched it. And I'm such a moron because when I was watching it, my brain didn't twig that mm. it was actually Anthony Ainley. Yeah. With the wig and the whole thing, because mm. I'm so used to seeing him yeah. in his master getup. <laughs> I felt like such an idiot. I'm like, why do we have this other person, like, you know, playing um, Melker? Yeah. I'm like, but that's the master, so why do we have this other person credited as him? And then I'm like, oh, just you fucking moron, because yeah. he takes over his body, therefore yeah. he is him. Like, oh, well, no, I, now you have the beauty of, like, yo, this is the first hand experience, like, you know? Yeah. Because, like, did you know about the master going to be in the story on to, uh, prior to us watching it? I I didn't know up until. So we're recording on Thursday. Yeah. I watched this on Tuesday. I started like prepping my Google document mm. Tuesday during work, and it was at that point I realized the master was in it. All right, because like I because deliber- um, I I because I read just... one like because when I, co- I was copying over the character list to make sure I got the spellings right, because sometimes yeah. Patty spells the names wrong. Um, and so I was prepping that, and one of them was like da 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 slash, and I was like, oh okay. Um, but I had seen the the image on the TARDIS wiki is the the merging of the yeah. Melkor face into the mm. Anthony Ainley face. So I had seen that picture before. I just didn't oh, realize what it was. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like I was when I said you on the character list, I was like Melkor Master. Like no, 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 no. She may not know. I wanted to be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know when you sent me on the list. I literally, like I said, yeah. I prepped my Google document at like mm-hmm. maybe. It was after me, it was like 4 p.m. on Tuesday, and I came home and I watched it at like half six. So I yeah. knew for maybe two and a half hours. Hmm. Um, but I didn't know the context or everything. Um, yeah. I certainly didn't know that the the Melker was a TARDIS. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, back to your thoughts on Tree Must have cool. Gone so on for- a wonder as we do. So, first things first, Anthony Ainley is amazing in this story. Mm. He's absolutely fantastic. I, I think he is the best performance throughout the entire story. I agree. Um, Secondly, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the first part of your stuff about Mm. Tremas. So, um, no, again, like some of my thoughts are a bit kind of eh, whereas others are like maybe a bit more solid in the argument. So we have no idea how old Tremas is. Okay. Mm. But I I think there is a love there between Cassia and Tremas. But it's those one of those things of where he's that much older than her. And it's like, how old actually is he? And does he have a whole lot of life left in him? Now, it may have been cruel to actually get married to Cassia because his thing might have been like, I want to spend the last years before I become Keeper married to you. But that's kind of a cruel thing to Cassia because she obviously loves Tremas as well. Mm. That, you know, that's not fair on her. Um... In relation to the comments about, um, you were saying like, you know, oh, like for, why wasn't he asking where's Cassie and all this type of stuff. If you think about it, it's fairly rapid in the events that go on because the following morning the body is discovered, then the doctor and Adric arrive, then he speaks up for them, they're under house arrest under his guard, he can't go to council meetings because he needs to look after them the whole time. So like, I don't think that he's not thinking about her, but I think he's just caught up within the whirlwind of events. The reason why I ask it is because the following day the body the body is found. Mm-hmm. 
then the Doctor and Adric turn up. There's a little bit of backy forty stuff with that. Cassia has a little bit of a mental breakdown. There's mm-hmm. two more bodies than she has. And that's nighttime. Mm-hmm. And then he takes the Doctor and Adric back to his place for breakfast. Hmm. And Cassie doesn't join them. Do you know? And I think it's more my thing of like, where did you think your wife spent the night? I'm going to assume that he thought that she was probably with the other uh, three councils discussing. The yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just found. I think it's hmm. um, it's it's the the content the condensed time frame. Yeah. Like, surely, at one point, the woman was going to have to go to sleep. <laughs> and she had nearly passed out not that long ago. Yeah. And yet, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I find their relationship weird. I don't know enough about it, and so there's bits of it that I'm like, hmm? yeah. No, I, th- I think this is definitely one for the novelization uh, read, because hmm. t- they novelizations do tend to kind of expand upon these little relationship nuggets a bit. Um, hmm. But other than that, like I think he's like he's a great story based companion. Uh, the whole science squee uh, thing he's got going on is is brilliant. Uh, I I just couldn't stop smiling whenever they had like moments of science talk and just seeing his mm. happiness at it. Um, I liked his thing. He like he's he's a very honorable person, you know, and mm. uh, like taking them under his protection, knowing full well what the repercussions will be refusing to give up the sacred plans but until he's kind of like made sea reasons he's a very loving father as well which is great mm. um and like you could you could tell like that he was very proud that nissa kind of was following in his footsteps of being science-based um but he's just unwaveringly loyal you yeah. know which is great um and even to the point about like yeah uh, uh when the doctor keeps mentioning about cassia being a potential threat it's never this thing of like you know how could she be evil it's more a case of i need to save her i Mm. i get that i I get that vibe from him and Mm. the ending like oh like fucking hell it's so it's a bleak ending it really is like tree tree mass is effectively fucking killed and his big he's now his body's being used by the master and the last thing this ever heard was her actual dad call out for help and then has gone looking for him and yeah so oh man it's a fucking bleak ending it's a fucking sad ending for a great character yeah we're going to talk about this in a second but like i'm so curious about like next week yeah like how does that what's the next step of that mm. You know, yeah. like to end it on that. I mean, because in many ways, like you sort, you do sort of feel like it ended on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like not for the doctor because the doctor's yeah. fucked off and do whatever. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the doctor doesn't have the final scene, mm-hmm. do you know, um, is really really interesting. Um, so we're on to our prominent characters. So what or so we'll do Cassia last. But how do you want yeah. to do the rest of them? I think. So we have. Neiman, Katura, Luvik, Saren, and Nissa. Hmm. And so I'm thinking if we do Neiman, no, sorry, we do 
the three consuls, so maybe Luvik, mm. Katar, uh, Katura, and Saren, mm. then Neiman, then Nissa, and then Cassia? Yeah. Okay. So, Luvik is so fucking annoying. <laughs> 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 like, he, he's the ultimate, like, doomsday. You, know, you were sort of joking, I dropped something a second ago. And this ultimate, like, so the sky is falling. Yeah. Um, type member of the console, and like it's interesting because when you look at the console, the console has um, uh, three older members and and two younger members. Lovik being one of the younger mm. members, and you sort of wonder how did he get elected or chosen? Because like he sort of reminds me of like the lady from the Tom and Jerry cartoon, who like every time she thought. She saw Jerry would just jump up in a chair and start screaming. <laughs> like he's he's so like paranoid and whatever. But he also, in my mind, seems to lack of a mind of his own. Mm-hmm. And he even admits it later on that like he doesn't think he's strong enough to be the next keeper. Um, you know when <laughs> like when Cassie is like, I wonder who should be keeper now. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a conversation with those two, like. Um, but in saying that, he does do the single brave act. Yeah. Which, given what it means, is an incredibly brave act. Mm-hmm. Where like the power of the keeper is still channeling. Someone has to sit in the chair, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, you know, um, stall. He doesn't like go. Oh. Uh, he doesn't like look to Katura expecting her to do it. He just immediately runs mm-hmm. and jumps in the chair so she can continue the rest of the process, which I thought like it kind of redeems him a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> because it shows that he's not just a big scaredy cat. Um, but he is probably the most annoying character for me. <laughs> he reminds me of the mayor from A Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm just an elected official. I can't make decisions. <laughs> I was like, how did he, like, does the Keeper choose the consuls? Like, do they elect each other? How did this guy get on the committee? Like, did his dad do it? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I I don't know because it's, I know, I I think you, they are, I think they're chosen, it might be a thing where the other consul members choose their, repla- their replacement for the vacant seat. Because I, in my mind, it's one of two things. It's either similar to what we had with the guys in the Skyliner, mm-hmm. where when one of them dies or moves on, the next yeah. ones pick the replacement. Yeah. Or I wonder if it's the keeper being super big brain identifies people from the population who could potentially be keepers in the future, mm-hmm. and those people are made consul. No, to be honest, I think that theory does have good credence, but I also think that the I think the keeper selects them, but also to kind of have like a balance because if you think about mm. it, you have Dreamas who is very science orientated, you mm. have Cassia who is more tuned to the natural side of uh, things, mm. almost in line with like the source as such. Then you have Saran who seems to be more measured and like 
maintain the status quo. And Keturah is also kind of in that vein, whereas Luvik seems to be more of a people person. So I think mm. maybe he has the balance so that one mentality doesn't supersede the others. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find him super annoying for the majority of it. And then, big clap, he, he did a good thing at the end. Yeah, no, I, I, that's pretty much my thing. I was like, yeah, I, I'm just an elected official. I can't make decisions. But again, to be fair to him, in the moment of crisis, like he did come true. And he mm. dashed into that chair. But I, I'm wondering that about the role of the keeper in that, is it one of those things of where becoming keeper, you know, you were like, this is what you could be. You were born to be this type of thing, you know, or is it one of those things of like, yes, you go into power, but the power enhances your own natural character traits. So like, will he be Luvik a cowardly keep, keeper? <laughs> a, cow, a cowardly keeper, like, or will, or like, does it kind of actually make you step up to the place and assume what the leader needs to be? Well, I think, I think it's the, the interesting thing about the keeper position, because in many ways, the keeper seems to be the 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 deal breaker the consul are empowered to make decisions on their own mm-hmm. um, and only when they can't do they call for the keeper to break the stalemate or whatever yeah um so i would imagine that like i don't think it's like the captain america serum yeah where could be yeah. where good becomes great i don't i don't think it's that <laughs> i think to be honest I think a lot of the individual is lost mm-hmm. when they become keeper. Yeah. Because at that point, you're really a channel for the source. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the long life and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think, and that's why they say like it takes time for the power to settle. Yeah. Do you know? So I don't think much, if anything, of Lubick would remain once the power has settled on him. I think it would be the keeper, i.e. the voice of the source. No longer Bran Stark. He's now the tree-eyed raven. <laughs> Terrible so, ending to a show. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't want to be king. Then just fucking roll away. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I, I still love, again, tangent, Related tangent though, because you were talking to the half measures guys that was in Discord yeah. today every other week. Um, I do love the fan theory that the whole of like you know season like from the minute that he became the three eyed raven, like when yeah. he um did his like the hold the door thing, mm-hmm. um that everything else um you know everyone's stupid decisions. Um, Daenerys losing her mind. Mm. It was all fucking Bran warging into people, freaking the fuck out of them, and making them do shit they wouldn't normally do, <laughs> so that he could become into power. I'm like, <laughs> I love that fan theory. It makes so much more sense than what we saw on screen. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, who's next? Kathura. <laughs> Kathura. Um. So you sort of described Kathura there as being very measured. Um. Mm. And you know, focusing on the status quo. I think with Katura, like Katura comes across to me like she is the old woman of the group. Yeah. In almost every way, 
where she seems to be um, focused on protocol. Yeah. And not necessarily like historic protocol because Cassia really advocates for the spiritualized way, the, the, the supernatural way, the, the whatever. Um, but Katura seems to be more focused on this is how the consoles run. This is how we do business. Um, to the point where even when people are telling her to stop and people are telling her, you know, something seriously wrong here, she's still like, yeah, well, you know, we picked Cassia and, you know, I have to press these buttons because this is what we do. And like, she seems to, um, almost more so than Lubick actually lack of uh, a mind and a will of her own. Mm. Um, or she is that person where her will is this is what the book says so this is what we're going to do um you know like you know i think you know, again in herself you so much look she does admit to her faults you know when they're having that very orchestrated discussion mm. um with cassia but um i think it's interesting that she doesn't even make to take the chair <laughs> do you know yeah. And I think she is so stuck in her ways. I don't think she could have. Mm-hmm. I think if Lubick didn't move, she probably wouldn't have either. Yeah. Because you can't just take up the seat. You have to be chosen mm-hmm. and you have to be elected. And for her to assume that position, um, she could never do it. It would be wrong of her to do that. So I don't, I actually like, I think had she been the only one in the room, and say Luvik had been off taking a piss or something. I don't think she would have sat in the chair. Mm, yeah, I don't think so. Do you know, I, I actually, I don't think she would have. I think she's so by the book of this is how our processes run that I think it sort of would never have dawned on her. You could sit in the chair. Mm. Like, just, just, just go sit in the chair. You're old anyway. Fuck us. Mm. <laughs> Um, what about you? So it's true what they say. Hell hath no war fear like a woman scorned because Kameka really isn't on the doctor's side on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like it's she's understandably like she's understandably wary of everything that's going on because it's like these strangers arrive. There's a fucking massive upheaval. There's murders. We're trying to pick a new keeper. Or keeper nominated supposedly, you know, is like potentially in league with the enemy. Uh, to your point, yeah, she's very like. Let's see what the book says in this particular instance. <laughs> there is no chapter for this. Um, how about if we stick a lot of pages together and make our own chapter? <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't think she would have stepped up, um, and because like, she did look up in this like expectation of little kind of like won't someone please do something and Luvik then hiked up his skirts and fucking ran hell for yeah. for the chair which it, it was very funny I thought but still very brave um, mm. so yeah she's she reminds me a small bit of like the um, oh, the older queen mother in the first season of the crown so like Elizabeth's grandmother which was like mm. that there is a protocol. We follow the protocol, regardless of our own personal feelings. And you're like, all right, yeah, cool. Fair enough. 
like you so like you're just you you're a bitch because the systems the demands it be so yeah she sort of reminds you of like you know that school teacher who you're like you know oh you know you shouldn't have hit him and it's like well he called me every horrible name under the sun yeah but you shouldn't have hit him yeah but he kicked me in the ass and he broke my leg and he broke my arm yeah but you shouldn't have hit him I was like what? yeah <laughs> Step back for just a second. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, you know, like she she is the definition of computer says no. Yeah, <laughs> she really is. It's like, but the computer didn't tell me I could. I'm like, but you can though. But the computer said no. You can though. God. There's an override button, which can yeah. though, like. <laughs> cool. So we move on to Saren now. Yeah, Saren. <sighs> Saren is such a weird character. Because mm. he he fully sets himself up. Um, because he he wants to play nice with everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So, Luvik is losing his freaking mind, and so he's like, "Oh no, you're fine, you're fine, it's fine." So he doesn't tell him what, what, what Dream has found, because it would just upset him more. Do you know? Cassie has clearly gone off the fucking wobbly end, and he's offering to like, "Oh, I will." commune with the keeper or whatever the the thing was and i'm like dude (laughs) maybe instead of trying to appeal to everyone's preference you actually like are honest with people (laughs) do you know because like i mean i feel terrible for him at the end because he's ultimately a really nice man Mm -hmm. and i think he could be a a good leader he's just too concerned with keeping everyone happy um do you know like he's he's like that person who like he's such a people pleaser mm. that like it's you know impossible to be like and what do you think Saren do you know what it is he's Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride never seen it you've never seen Runaway Bride oh it's brilliant anyway so concept of Runaway Bride tangent here we go concept of Runaway Bride you have this woman played by Julia Roberts who is a has a pattern of running away from her to be husbands at the altar. Richard Gere goes to do a story on her, blah, blah, blah. and one of the things he finds is that she changes herself to match each of her fiancés okay. to the point where if you ask each of her fiancés or each of her past fiancés, how does she like her eggs? Scrambled, just like me. Poached, just like me. Over easy, just like me. She can't even figure out how she likes her eggs because she keeps changing the way she presents herself to Mm. match with the person that she has fallen in love with. And in a way, that's what Saren reminds me of. Because when he's talking to Tremus, he's like, oh, this is very important, you keep investigating. When he's talking to Lubick, he's like, oh, science, science, it's fine, like whatever there's nothing major going on I'm like dude like pick a lane 
<laughs> Stop trying to appeal to everybody. Because it means that ultimately he sacrifices himself because he's dug himself such a massive hole by appealing, like trying to appeal to everybody else that the only way out he sees is just to offer himself as tribute. Mm. Being like, you know, I'm the reason Tremus didn't tell you this. I'm the reason for this. I'm there. So I will stand in judgment. And then ultimately gets him killed. And I'm like, I really like you, but like, who are you? <laughs> Do you know? Actually, yeah, like that makes sense. Like, do you have any other uh, points? No, that was that was that yeah. was fine. Because, like, when it comes to like the vote, he's like, doesn't he abstain his vote and just go with the council majority? Yeah, so he keeps his hand down. Yeah, and he's like, I will go with the majority. It's like, no, it's established that yeah. it has to be a unanimous vote. So if you're going to go with the majority, when you saw the rest of them putting their hand up, mm. just put your, put hand, your up. hand up. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I think he is the ultimate status quo guy uh, mm. because it, he clearly has their people's best interests at heart. Mm. And, like, I think a part of me was like, he 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 does support Tremus and Tremus is like, because um, I know that you like you said like oh science science let him go off and play with his toys, but I think he does have a vested interest in what Tremus does because mm. with whatever information that Tremus finds, he will have to react accordingly in order to make sure that everyone stays happy and everyone stays. Um, so maybe he himself doesn't put like that much. Um, it's like that thing. It's like it doesn't matter whether or not I believe it, but you believe it. So therefore, I need to. I'll support you with it. I think you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I do hate the fact that um, he gets killed because even when he's even when he's dying, or even when he realizes that like he's about to die, he doesn't blame Cassia. He tries no. to get her to fight off the influence. Because he knows that she would never do this. Mm. And, like, I think with the, like, this is one of those stories that it's got a huge wealth of very interesting characters. Mm. Um, well, I heard what you said and I went, yeah. mm-hmm. And then my brain actually realized what you said. I had to laugh. Um, because you're saying a huge wealth of interesting characters. Yeah. Except you said wealth, not yeah. wealth. <laughs> because it has a huge wealth. Oh, <laughs> As if it's a bad thing. Will you leave my t- you leave my THs alone? <laughs> I I told you, my friend John, yeah. uh, who I met at STLV has started listening to our podcast and he loves your accent so thanks for (laughs) every time i make fun of you john macy thinks your accent is great (laughs) thanks john (laughs) um but yeah no like he was a he was a great character and i i that's one thing i love with these character discussions because he had i would say less than 10 minutes of screen time with dialogue Mm. But he is still a very interesting character. Mm. I don't, I'm sad that we're not going to see that actor again. 
because I actually really mm. enjoyed that actor, and I'm kind of sad that mm. we're not going to see him anymore. Yeah, I I still love him in um, Terror of the Zygons. He's so good in that. So good. He... <laughs> um. So now we have Neiman. Okay. So again, I'll talk about this more in my overall because I will circle back to the console and the whole concept of the console. Um, mm-hmm. In my overall, but. Neiman is such a weird character because he's corrupt as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like they they make a point that he can be bought and sold, mm-hmm. like there's no tomorrow. And like every interaction that people have with him just throws up red flags, like left, right, and center. Mm. So the fact that he then ultimately decides, oh well, I will just follow the new keeper because that's what I'm meant to do. I'm like, dude, you were doing whatever the hell anyone paid you to do a while ago. Hmm. but now when the new keeper is clearly psychotic you're like oh no i will follow what the fuck is that about do you know what i mean um and he shines a very interesting light on this society which is meant to have um universal harmony mm-hmm. because uh, so i'll talk about it more in my overall in a society that's meant to have universal harmony the idea that your head guard your head um whatever the hell they call them um is so blatantly corrupt that it is known that you can bribe him to get whatever you want stands out like a sore thumb Hmm. and i'm like is this a new thing was he always like this because like it makes you like um the minute they say, like, oh, well, you know, he can be bribed or you, you can't trust him if you can't pay him. And it's like, okay, this makes me immediately suspicious of this whole setup. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we've Cassia's going off the fucking wobbly end. That's fine. We know why she is going the way she is. But why is Neiman so fucking corrupt? Um, and so it makes her question the whole structure and, like, how long has this evil been building? If your head guard is corrupt and can be bought and sold to the highest bidder, um, so I found him to be very a very weird character, hmm. um, in that respect. Um, I also think that like he also just loves throwing his weight around. Like he really likes his job, mm-hmm. and so the fact when they were like, "Oh, the the fuck it was the name of them, the." Consoles. The foster should be armed. Uh, I'm mm. like, how long have you wanted that? You seem to have wanted it for a while. Do you know? And so it makes mm. me like I was super suspicious of him from the off. <laughs> oh yeah, of course you're going to be suspicious of him. Um, but like I think you know it raises a good question. It also kind of just points out just how evil the master can be, because. I would put down a lot of these negative character traits in people like Neiman and the Fosters that were loyal to him are probably like influences somehow from the master. Mm. Um, And he probably just tapped into something that was obviously in Neiman in the first place because this was, we always, yes, universal harmony, but it's always a case of like, you know, I'd like something nice and shiny. I'd like what that person has. Like even in this mm-hmm. utopian society, you're still kind of going to get 
they have like the replicator 100 i'd like the replicate no i have a replicator 100 they have a 101 you know i'd also like that yeah but shit. it's the whole thing like the way the keeper sets it up is that like evil cannot live on this planet mm. anything evil that comes anywhere near this planet starts to calcify and, and whatever um and I'll cover it more in my world because yeah. it's, it's it's a bigger it's a bigger thing for me yeah. in the story that I find interesting. Um, but no, to his actual characteristics, it reminds me of. Do you remember uh, Janos Slint in Game of Thrones? He was the commander hmm. of the City Watch, and then he becomes a lord, and fucking Tyrion sends a pack into the wall. He reminds me of him, hmm. like tr- throwing the weight around when he even like when he um. Because he's the head guard, and even at the end, like when he's when the Melker is in charge, like he's bossing Tremas around and he's threatening him, you know. Mm. So yeah, it kind of reminds me of him, uh, and then obviously is yeah fucking very cowardly when he dies. But I don't think there's anything special about him that we haven't seen before in the corrupt official archetype. No, it's just the and fact I, that there is a corrupt official seems odd. Yes. It it does kind of now that I think about it is like a very weird story element to have. It would probably would have been better. It probably would have made more sense as rather than have him be prone to bribery, all that kind of stuff. Or do you ever just kind of say like he was in the garden and the master had also exerted his influence on him somehow? Yeah, or even say that like. Newman was selected for his role by Keturah, and Keturah is very by the book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that people were trying to get him to do, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, they wanted to go into the garden after hours, they wanted to disperse the crowd or whatever. Well, that's not by the book. Yeah. So, like, so as opposed to people bribing him to get what they wanted, it was them trying to talk him around mm-hmm. and stuff like that, maybe even better. Um, maybe, yeah. But I said, I'll talk about it more when I, when I get to my cool. thoughts. So now we have Nissa. Nissa. So I didn't write down a whole lot for Nissa because we don't get to know her very well. Mm. We do actually know a few things, though. Um, she's very sweet. Um, clearly, like what I love is that she didn't see um, Kessia as like the evil stepmother figure. And, like, when the Keeper asks her to join them in the blessing, she seems really happy, Mm. you know, to be kneeling between them and stuff like that. And, like, because of the way the women's hairstyles are, she Mm. does kind of look like she could be their daughter in a way. Do you know what I mean? Um, And, like, when she goes to the Grove to take care of the Malker, like, taking up that mantle, she clearly, like, has great pride in that. Mm-hmm. and you know, sees it as a position of honor which it is you know in their society but she also reminds me a little bit of victoria and a little bit of the daughter in web of fear um and the daughter of the site yeah where she clearly you know learned science at her dad's knee mm-hmm. do you know her mom you know passed away or whatever when she was younger etc um and i like that i, I like seeing that sort of generational scientist <laughs> as it were mm. um but she's also like she's very brave um but she's also like for someone who is presented as quite young and particularly teaming her up with adric 
I, I didn't realize that Nissa was so young. Because um, they've only ever seen Sarah Sutton like now. <laughs> so yeah. I've never really seen Nissa. Before is my first time I've ever seen Nissa, the character, really. Um, you borrowed the, the five doctors for five minutes. Um, so I think, you know, having her be so young, she's very knowledgeable of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, very reminiscent of, you know, the you know, only daughter of a widower. Do you know where you kind of get the sense that she does take care of the house. She knows the way the world works. She knows to bring money to bribe Neiman. Mm. And she has absolutely zero compunction about doing that. (laughs) Do you know, she knows what needs doing. She knows how to carry herself and whatever. And while the others, like we see Katura and Samir's like, sending her back home and when they clearly care for her as the sort of child of their friend um she herself doesn't need to be mollycoddled but she also isn't um she isn't like uppity about it mm-hmm. you know she takes their care in the spirit in which it's intended but she also acts independently and like We've now we did we didn't get a I don't want to go to my room you can't tell me what to do I know but we didn't get any of that from her, which I think is nice because I fucking yeah. hate that, um, and I because I'm very curious to see her with Adric because they got along really well, um, kind of like siblings, and I'm really curious to see how it plays out because again we haven't had two humans or humanoids mm-hmm. in the TARDIS since harry mm-hmm. do you know and i'm really curious to see what type of dynamic will they have you know is it kind of like you know Stephen and and vicky and Stephen and dodo is it more like jamie and victoria or jamie and zoe or ben and Paul? like how is their dynamic going to work mm. i'm really curious to see how that will play out um how about you yeah no i agree i agree with pretty much everything you said again uh because i think this is a very solid showing from her um mm. i love the partnership with adric and obviously it's a pairing that i hope will continue properly as the show goes on because i can barely remember anything that happens for the first season of peter davison but like to your point about what type of relationship it will be i think it'll be kind of akin to victoria and jamie but more from the who's the smarter side of mm. things because they're both clearly like very intelligent and she's highly intelligent in the fact that she rigs up a stun gun yeah you know um or that she has no issue helping uh adric craft um the sabotage machine mm. like she knows her way around technology uh i love that no one speaks down to her throughout the entire story like everyone treats her as the intelligent young woman that she is mm. which was great um back to the jailbreak side of things she's very brave because she has no compunction about you know she has the brazen neck to offer the bribe and then she she she, she, she bribes him twice once successfully yeah. then again a second time and then yeah she just fucking kind of go when they go to try and rush she's like aha fuck you um, <laughs> Um, and even then, like, she's the one that takes the lead out of the cells, you know? Mm. Uh, like, and you would think that maybe, obviously not the Adri- uh, not Adric and the Doctor, because they're 
unfamiliar, but you know, Tremas to like protect his daughter. Mm. But he but he clearly is, I suppose, shocked by everything that's going on. But he also trusts her to kind of let her take the lead of it. Um, So while yes, she doesn't probably have as much dialogue or screen time, her uh, contributions to the story are no less than. I, I would say no less than Adric or the or Tremus has told the story. No, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. And then lastly, we have Cassia. Yes. So Cassia is Cassia is another odd character. Um, oh, uh, sorry, before we go into Cassia, yeah. again, just to go back to that fucking ending, fucking heartbreaking when she walks oh, yeah, in for calling for the calling for her dad. Yeah, absolutely fucking heartbreaking. I'm so curious how next week is going to pick up with that yeah. because like, um. Cassia. But yeah, so Cassia. Cassia's such an odd character. Because, like, when the Keeper's telling the story of Traken and how the Melkor came, Cassia's role of, you know, it's sort of presented as, you know, someone will take care of the Melkor, the evil, until it calcifies away and mm. no longer is. And this is seen as a position of honor. And she was assigned to that job and she does it for years. She goes from being a young girl, you know, to being a full woman or whatever. But the way the others talk about it is like, oh, Cassie and her obsession with the Melkor. It's like, no, no, I thought like it's a position of honor. The keeper passes that position to Nyssa um, so that Cassie can focus on being a wife. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, but like, we then hear that she drove the Fosters from the grove. How the fuck did she manage that? Why was she able to do that? You know, um, you know, like I said, taking care of the Melkor is an important task, but the others seem to make fun of her for it. And I'm like, okay, like the base point where we meet her as an adult is just strange, because. And this sort of goes into sort of my thing about like the influence of the Melkor. Like the Melkor has has the Melkor been influencing her since she was a child? Slowly, you know, psychically influencing her, you know, slowly taking over the grove, forcing other people away. Because if the keeper describes it as like, oh, like at the moment, like there's just some weeds growing, but like, you know, it could get a lot worse. But like who said the fosters weren't to go into the grove and take care of it like they always did? Like, how did that happen? Um, our marriage to Tremus again seems odd. Um, you know, during the ceremony, she looks super happy, like she's clearly delighted at what's happening. Um, but then after, her emotions for him seem to ebb and sway. Like, she pleads for his life with the Melkor at one point, but at other points, she doesn't seem to give a shit. Um, and we're, it's not very clear when that's Melker's influence mm. and when it's just Cassia herself. Also, like, she gets so upset over the fact that he's being chosen as the next, um, the next keeper. Why did you agree to marry him then? The keeper must be chosen from the consuls. So there's a chance that one of you will be chosen so why agree to marry him so do you know if you know that that's a, a an option maybe that's me being super cynical it's like oh she married him for love but like <laughs> she knows that that's an option 
Yeah. You know, which begs the question again with this weird console setup. Should two of the consoles be allowed to get married? Does that not bring up a conflict of interest? Maybe, do you know, like a an isolation of power in two versus mm. the group. Mm. Um, like I said, you know, we we assume that Melker has been slowly taking control over for years, but like it's not obvious when that starts, which sort of ties into the whole like why is Neiman corrupt? Like, yeah, Melker has been around for ages, but like. Ages could be like 15 years and Neiman is known as being corrupt and surely Melka would have taken time to... Anyway. I think Cassie's an interesting character. I think she's really fun to watch. She does remind me... <laughs> I think you could plonk her into Mystic Knights of Turnanog quite easily. Oh yeah, definitely. She's like, she comes across as a very... Um, like an Irish mythological figure. Mm. Just like from her styling and everything and the way she was portrayed. Um... I feel bad for her. I don't like her. It's this this weird combination of... It's because we're not clear how much of it is Melker's influence and how Mm. much of it is her own batshittedness. Do you know? It's like... Mm. Yeah. Um, The one thing I do like, though, is... Going back to it again, she doesn't really... Like, we could have had her as the evil stepmother. Hmm. And her main thing is that, like, she doesn't want to hurt Nyssa. Yeah. She just doesn't want Nyssa to find out what's happening with Melkor. Mm-hmm. So when she comes across Nyssa doing what she's meant to be doing, A, there's a bit of jealousy there because she doesn't like the fact that she had to give it up. But also, it's like, oh no, what if she knows? And like, it's not like she ever decides to kill her. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't go all like you know evil queen on her like do you know what I mean um, which you know, they very easily could have done you know, they, they could have done the Snow White allegory absolutely because like, that's the, that was one point I was going to raise was that like when she catches her spying what does she do she tells her to go home yeah like she doesn't have her thrown in jail she doesn't have her you know locked in the tower or anything like that it's you don't understand what's going on go home yeah, and like I think, um, go on, sir. As like I, th- I think Cassia is also a tragic character within this story. Mm. That's why I have her in the prominent section because I, I actually, I do legitimately feel sorry for her because she's motivated by, like I, th- I think she, you know, she's motivated by her love of Tremas that the Melker seems to be offering her like the opportunity to have him not be the keeper so that they can be together so that's where that's going from um to your point about them all making fun of her i think it might be a case of like so effectively cassia and other girls like her are essentially hospice nurses like to ease the ease the passing of whatever but the keeper points out like that this milker has been alive an unusually long amount of time so i can't i i get the sensation that like the the keepers or the milker tenders don't really form like the sort of attachment that she's had mm. with it like so like i yeah because like, obviously you know she talks to it and she 
seems to like tell it all her woes as a sort of a dear diary type thing and i think maybe that's the fact that it is mm. like to to them it's 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 an abnormality but it's still a melker at the end of the day mm. where she is kind of like it's effectively her confidant you know um but like yeah as i said throughout the whole thing she seems to be motivated by doing the whole thing to protect Tremas and I suppose as well by association Nyssa because she doesn't want um, Tremas to go through the rapport or go through the rapport and then when Saron does it she knows that she has to get rid of him and even then she doesn't really want to do it and then as well when her fucking weird laser eyes come about her she tells Tremas not to look at her um Everything she does is motivated from a good place, but it, she's warped and twisted by the master into effectively becoming a weapon. Mm. Yeah. And her being wiped from existence, like, like the <laughs> effectively, you want to put it this way. I, I, I'm like, I'm also really curious to see how next week goes because, fucking, the master technically killed. Nissa's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes yeah, like, quite... I, don't, I don't know I don't know anything about Nissa as a character beyond literally now just the story. So I don't know how that plays out. I think Nissa probably kind of falls into that bucket of I won't say the forgotten companions, but she's whenever people ask for the classic companions, like you always have oh you'll have Sarah Jane, you'll have Joe, you'll have um Romanas and you'd have Tegans. Nissa isn't one that automatically comes to a lot of people's minds. Yeah. I think when I was doing the trivia, I hadn't realized she was going to be in 14 stories. Mm. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's a lot for for our current run of companions. That's, yeah. That That's is a lot. An awful lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we do have a villain in yes. this piece. Yeah. An out and out villain. Yeah. So. <laughs> Melker slash master, as portrayed by two different people. (laughs) Um, He's playing the fucking long game. Mm. Like, when you consider the fact that, I mean, the way I read it is that in his personal timeline, Mm -hmm. the master came to Traken straight from Gallifrey. Yeah. He was burned. He knows he's dying. He needs to find an alternative. And if not straight from Gallifrey, then shortly thereafter. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Traken. The keeper lad lives for fucking ages. <laughs> I'll take over him. And I'll be sorted. Um, so he lands on Traken. And like, I know that the Melkor that Cassia interacts with is just a TARDIS. So the master is puttering around inside. Yeah. But like, he's puttering around inside for years mm-hmm. um and then when he finally died, like so he said like <laughs> i think something that like sort of i didn't realize until i was talking about not only does the tardis have weapons mm-hmm. it can move it can walk like a person <laughs> yeah <laughs> which my brain didn't actually fully realize until i was about to say that 
you know, the master was waiting for the right time to begin acting on his plan. And then my brain jumped to the image of the Melkor sort of peeking around the side of the door to like shoot be he didn't shoot beams, he'd shot mental energy or whatever at the keeper. Yeah. And I'm like, hold on. Is it, does the master make a load of levers? Does it to move the legs and then move the arms? I know I'm kind of obsessed with that image. It's like, um, is it um, oh the season five Sarah Jane Adventures episode, uh, with the man who never was or whatever that the hologram and you've got like Luke and Sky trying to like throw different levers to have him like turn around and wave and whatever. Uh, um, sorry, I just, I, don't no. know why I just suddenly found that really funny. Um, but yeah, but like what the master is trying to do is super messed up. Um. Mm. I think it gives a real insight into the character of the Master that we've never really gotten up to now. No. So the Master up to now is that, I want all power. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's, I want to live forever. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different goal to, I want to control the universe. Now, the I want to live forever has an element of I want to control the universe. Mm-hmm. But like, So we find out here that 12 regenerations that's the limit mm-hmm. apparently caveat asterisk yeah. um and his thing is like well but i want to keep going and not only do i want to keep going i think i'll take his body this like all-powerful being that the doctor holds in great reverence again going back mm-hmm. to that whole bit about the doctor holding great reverence so i think as an outing by the master a Ultimately, in his key goal of, I don't want to die, I want a new body, the master wins. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> doesn't have uh, a backup um, stupid species he's using who ultimately turn on him and mm. whatever. So he doesn't have the Delgado master problem. Um, but I think this is probably one of the best master stories we've seen in a long time mm. because he's not in it very much it's yeah. all about his influence um but yeah i've kind of gone on a weird random tangent i liked him i'm curious to see more about anthony amy i've seen one of his stories from way further on um but i'm curious to see more of him i think it'd be really interesting and I'm so curious for how this whole thing with Nyssa pans out because, you know, we've had a sort of um, companions who've had dealings with the Master before. Joe being obviously the big one um, mm-hmm. in New Who. Obviously, Martha has her hang-ups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't... I think they might all pale in comparison to the initial interaction that Nyssa is having. Yeah. Um, and like, sp- speaking of, um, I suppose we'll get more, I'll get actually, no, I'll really save that point for the overall. But in relation to the master, to be fair to the fucking prick, it's actually a really good plan. If you think about it's, it. Yeah. It's, it's, so like, good. it's one of his best plans. Yeah. Because usually his plans are shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, he, it's manipulate a well-intentioned girl Help mm. her potentially to rise to power, mm. 
get her to do all your fucking dirty work under the pretense of her fulfilling the duty of her role as counsel, and then use her as a sacrificial lamb and pin everything on the fucking doctor. It's like, it's... By not sticking his fucking nose in continually, it's actually, yeah, as you say, it's the best plan he's had that we've seen. Because, like, (laughs) yeah, because, like, like, Roger Delgado was a fantastic performer as the master. Mm. Fucking absolutely sensational. The master, however, as portrayed by Roger Delgado, is a fucking idiot. (laughs) <laughs> he fucking is he's he's a complete fucking idiot. Um and then the oh his name fucking escapes me, I cannot remember him, but the guy who portrayed Skeletor Master uh mm. be- before Jeffrey. Um no, as an intimidating figure, he was amazing. He was mm. so fucking creepy in that story. But his plan did rely on the use of also kind of evilish minions where it's like here no it's like corrupt the good and make it kind of go yes I'm completely magnanimous and I'm going to braid I'll braid your hair and it's like okay now just fucking help me get to power um, so yeah it was a fucking doozy of a, of a plan Fair do- and I'm amazed at his patience because as we've seen before he's an incredibly impatient person um, yeah and the reason I call him a fucking prick is because this is, I think, this is the most monstrous thing he's ever done. Mm. Like I know, before we talked about um, in Terror of the Autons, where he dressed up a guy as him and then fucking sent him up to a firing squad. That's yeah, no, that is bad. But manipulating um, a young girl throughout her pretty much her formative years, using her as a sacrificial lamb so you can gain power and then possessing the body of her husband leaving their Nissa, I would I would call Nissa mm. their child leaving Nissa an orphan and potential and going forward like ha, may, yeah, having Nissa face that I think this is the most fucking monstrous he's ever been yeah because I can't help thinking like the, the next time they meet he looks like her dad. Yeah. From when she was like little, ch- little. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's so messed up. It is so messed up. I do also have another visual of how the Melkor is moved. So mm. it's either levers, like in the Surgeon and Adventures episode, or it's like a Power Ranger. Do you yeah. have the big things? Or like, yeah, you know, like a Pacific Rim type mech thing? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> complete with ha- uh, extravagant hand motions and everything. Right, <laughs> fight. I I don't I don't think like obviously you can see me or listeners can't. I don't think people realize just how much my brain literally just as I was talking about it caught up to the fact that the Melker can move. Yeah, his Tardis can walk. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> oh Christ. Uh, or maybe he's got like a Ripley suit where he's like, you know, inside the, the power lifter thing and he's, uh, but yeah, no, fuck it. Um, what, uh, jo- was this jo- uh, Johnny Byrne? Mm. I'm impressed. You made the master an actual credible villain. Yes, well done. <laughs> yeah.
So, I think that was a very interesting character discussion. Me too. Hmm. Me too. So, let's see what that uh, has led towards in terms of the scoring factor. So, as our long-term listeners will know, uh, as always, we will give the overall story a score out of five. Mm -hmm. So, Trish, you go first. So, like you said, straight off the bat, very interesting characters. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I really enjoyed this story. Interesting characters, a good mystery. The mystery was good. Mm. Um, The sort of background science fiction components of the Keeper and the Source or whatever. Very good. <laughs> the Melker was... <laughs> I now can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very good. The good character interactions. None of the acting I felt was like super over the top or whatever, which sometimes in the sort of medieval Jurassic can get a bit... Mm-hmm. Eh, a bit much. Whatever. Um, Love the Doctor's relationships with everybody. Love the Doctor and Adric. Love Adric and Nyssa. Love the Doctor and Tremas. Love Cassia just as an exploratory character. Love that the Master is a credible villain this time around, like you said. Um, there are a few things about Traken, though, that confuses me. The main thing is why a planet that is apparently so innately good that if an evil presence sets foot on it, it immediately calcifies and eventually becomes part of the garden of the grove. Needs guards and guns. That seems slightly weird. Um, Corruption of the guards is accepted. Um, We never really get a full idea of when the master's influence started spreading beyond Cassia and beyond the grove. Like I said, they make a point that Cassia drove away all the fosters from the grove, but how was that even allowed? Mm. No, it's accepted by everyone that Neiman is corrupt. For him to have that reputation and for it to be so baked in, in a society that's so innately good, that's been happening over years to get to that point. And so we don't really see that. Um, you know, like, did it start as soon as the Melker arrived? Did it take time to start? You know, whatever. And like, I suppose like I did sort of answer my own question in that sense that like when you have change that's so gradual, it's almost imperceptible. Mm-hmm. It's it's surprising the number of things that you can adapt to. Um, the other thing that I didn't think was explored as much as I would have liked was this weird divide between science and superstition. Um. There was yeah. like a sub point there on that that I don't think was explored quite as much as I would have liked. The cult of Melkor. Yeah, like, the cult of Melkor, but even just like, uh, like why hide the scientific answer from Lubick? Do mm. you know the fact that Tremus, you know, nearly wet himself at the idea that someone like science it was like, okay, there, what's happening there? Do you know? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that sub plot um or sub um surface tension meant to be and the other thing is just the whole idea of the consoles in general i I find it weird the two consoles can get married given their position it seems like a weird potential power imbalance Mm -hmm. that said with all of that i did thoroughly enjoy this there was one or two bits where i was like okay where are we now come on pick it back up again um but overall i really enjoyed it 
I did originally give it a 3.75. Okay. But the giggle that I've gotten at the milker has bumped it up to a 4. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me and the sun makers. I just laughed so much at it that I had to give it a higher ranking. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so for me, that is a 4.00. A 4 keyboard. Point zero zero, which bring <laughs> it doesn't do much for the average for this season, mm. um, but you know it brings up a bit. So how about you? Um, so first things first, um, Anthony Ainley is primarily known for his role and his contributions as the master, mm. but. I think he had a fucking standout performance in this story as Trivas. He I agree. is excellent in this story. And I just I think it it adds a new layer because I always felt that there were times, and again this is from my memory, that he was kind of panto esque as the as the master. But and I continually forgot then as to the the origin of this particular master. Like he murdered a good man and is now wearing his body as a essentially a puppet, and that's fucking that adds a, a whole other level to that master. Mm. Um. So, but I, I think he had a standout performance here. Um. I really like this story. Um. It has this weird thing where it's like it's fairly rapid paced, but at the same time it keeps the tension of a much slower paced story about it, if that makes mm. sense. Um it's got a good supporting cast. Uh like as like with you know Sarah Sutton as Nissa and Sheila Raskin, Cassia thought was great. Um I like the design of the Melker. Um and I know that it's it, it, for a lot of people it might be slightly slightly cheesy. But the effect of Cassia's eyes, like I they put two little kind of mm. Uh, clot eye pieces over her eyes, but that effect it actually is freaky when it mm. has her like with the with the glowing red eyes. It's it's just it scares the shit out of me because it reminds me of that movie uh, Suspiria. Um, mm. But um, the only thing that kind of I think it failed on me was actually the final showdown with the master himself because he. Between the Doctor and the Master, it's literally, I think it's like two scenes. And Jeffrey Beaver's work as the Melker is amazing. His work, technically the Melker is the Master, but his on-screen bits, I would have liked to have seen him a bit more. Like, Hmm. be it to to, uh, give half the episode to him, or something a bit more, because I think he deserved it. Um, actually speaking of his scene when things start blowing up and the doctor for no reason just charges through a plate glass window <laughs> I, I couldn't fucking stop laughing at that it just felt so unnecessary um, but like his plan and like, also sorry in my relation to my point on the master I get that his plan required anonymity but I was still looking forward to the showdown but like yourself, I gave this a four. I think it's a really solid, really, really solid story. And if this is the first part of a trilogy, I am looking forward to invest- revisiting parts two and three. Yeah, um, I deliberately kept that out of my trivia notes because I didn't want to spoil things for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but this is the first story of what is known as the Master Trilogy. 
um that was written in my notes i just didn't read it out <laughs> oh i thought you did read it out no i didn't i deliberately skipped it <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> that's okay that's fine. um Oops. but yeah so that brings if we're looking at averages <laughs> Uh, your average for season 18 is currently 2.88 and mine is 2.67 next week's story is a big one yes it is it is Legopolis Legopolis it is Tom's final story Mm -hmm. as the fourth doctor little tiny caveat um Mm -hmm. Tom's final story is the first doctor. It's the last story of the season. Mm-hmm. Can it get it up to a three? I mean, let's let's do some. Let's do some, some maths. Some, well, let's have Excel do some maths. Yeah, if you. Oh God. Uh, you think if my maths are correct, oh, you're going to need. <laughs> if my maths are correct, you're going to need to fucking love the shit out of the next story. <laughs> So, if you give it a four, mm-hmm. you bring your score to over three point. Yeah, if you, if you give it three point seven five to get to three point oh, on average, you need to give next week three point seven five. I need to give it a five. <laughs> In order yeah, for I, season eighteen yeah. to hit the three point oh threshold. Like, like, yeah, just looking back, like, and I think where it really, I think where it really starts to go down for you is the the E Space trilogy. Yeah. 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 Um but what actually I did I wasn't a big fan of the Leisure Hive either. <laughs> oh no no, um, but like I was saying is like, you know, that like we weren't a, the we no had, coming back. The no yeah, coming back. No yeah. coming back is um, <laughs> the Switch trilogy. We won't make any assumptions for next week, though no. am I correct in saying next week is a, next week is a six? No, it's no, there is no more six parters. Oh, thank God! Yeah, no. Okay, um, that sh- that inc- shadow was. That inc- sh- yeah, go on. Sorry, I was gonna say shadow was the last six parter. Okay, this this could be okay then, because mm-hmm. it's much harder for a six parter to get a five out of me yeah. than a four parter. Because <laughs> I get bored. I, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, sorry, I just said it again. Do you hear me, Kenauer? This is uh, this is. The last multi more than four part story. I'm not doing try to retire more than one go. <laughs> Poor Paul. Yeah. He just wants to see you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> For his benefit. Uh-huh. Also, okay. Side conversation here, right? Yeah. If you were to do Trial of a Time Lord in one go. Yeah. The podcast would be like five hours long. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> and you may like that, Paul, but nobody else would. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, Legopolis next week. Mm-hmm. Then the following week will be Tom's. Oh, going to be Tom's re- rambling. That's going to be. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Tricky. Um. And then I need to look at the calendar because uh, 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 yes, we we are we going to be recorded before we have to break again? Uh, so according to my my schedule, hmm. uh, so because yes, we... yes, this is Trish is going to cause a disruption in 
recording once more. Well, well no, like we'll be recording next week. Yeah. And then we said we'd do it one day earlier because I'm going to be away. Hmm. So yeah, we'll get the rambling done and then we'll have our break. Will we get will we get our special special rambling done before the wedding? Uh you mean Canine and Company? Yes. That would be the fourteenth. Cool. So yeah. Um and then there'll be a week off before we start Peter Davison. Yes. Because yes, I am forced to take another break. Actually wait, um it will probably be the fifth of October before we start again because we have a we have a wedding. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And Paul's just like, will you just get to Peter Davison? He's like, no, Paul. No. <laughs> no, we won't. I think Paul's more like, you know, once more Colin Baker than Peter Davison. <laughs> yeah, we have to get to Peter Davison first. Yeah. True. Anyway. Paddy, it was lovely talking to you. As always, it was lovely talking to you. It was an interesting story. It's been, it's been a few weeks since me and Paddy have recorded one of these. So. Yeah. Um, it's been good. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.